So we get the privilege and honor today of having our very own Bill Scheidler um, share the message today. Um, Bill, it's seriously, you guys need to take notes. This is like one of the most convicting messages, most practical messages I've ever heard on a Father's Day. Sometimes you get to think like if you're a mom, you don't have to pay attention to the Father's Day message because it's just for dads. Not true. Um, <laughs> last service, all the kids were furiously taking notes, I think, to hand to their parents afterwards and say like, you need to work on this. Um, but, but Bill is a man who lives what he's preaching and that's really, really important. I took a, a class at, you know, a few classes at Portland Bible College last year, and I come out of the, one of the buildings, and he's there with Joanne, and they're getting ready to take one of their grandsons to lunch, just take him out to lunch. Um, he's invested in his kids' lives, and he's gotten, to, he's gotten to see the fruit of that, and he's invested in his grandkids and great-grandkids, right? He got, got some of those. Yeah. yeah. So let's listen. Let's open our hearts to the truth that he's about to to lay down. <laughs> Thanks. You read that well. Appreciate that. I wrote that out for her earlier, and <laughs> she did a great job bringing that forth. Not quite enough emotion as I would appreciate it, but it was, it was good enough. She didn't cry. That was a thing. I mean, come on. Well, hey, it's a real honor to be able to speak on Father's Day. Uh, it's a lot uh, harder for mothers to have children than it is for fathers, and uh, I understand that. And also, I, I've, I was thinking about tomorrow, she was uh, kind of giving a caveat to, you know, celebrating Father's Day. I know this is really painful for many of you. This is going to be a terrible day. And I realize what she said is exactly true, but I don't remember anybody doing that on Mother's Day and saying, oh, this is really, well, maybe, <laughs> I guess there's a reason for that, too. We've got a lot better mothers than we do fathers. But at the same time, we have a t it's a team effort, amen? Raising children is a team effort, and uh, it's, some, it's not for the faint of heart. And uh, it's so, so, so critical that when we do uh, raise our kids that we are on the same page and we're doing it in total unity and totally harmony with each other and, and believe that God is going to use us in the life of our family to bring forth the very best that he had in mind when he created those individuals in the first place. He gave us the privilege of being a part in their creation. And then he says, okay, I want you to raise these little ones in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And uh, that is a huge responsibility. Today, I want to talk to you about the word respect. Uh, and when it comes to our families, a lot of times when we hear the word respect in association with families, we think of, well, yeah, these children, these kids need to respect their parents just a little bit more. I see my grandkids smiling at me. Uh, they need to respect their grandfather i got three grandkids here today. Um, they need to respect them a little bit more. And, and, you know, our society is filled with such a lack of respect for authority, such a lack of respect for this and that. But today I really want to talk more about um, parents respecting their children than children respecting their parents. A lot of times I think the attitudes that our children project back to us are the result of what they have experienced in, in us. And so they are like a little mirror to us of maybe how we have treated them, and they can reflect that back to us. That's not true in every case. I know we're fighting against school systems. We're fighting against all kinds of other input that go into the lives of our children. But the truth of the matter is still 75% of the input that comes into the life of a child is going to be through the parents. And uh, we do need to filter some things at times, but it's really uh, God has given us that charge, and we need to take it very, very seriously. But a lot of that has to do with our attitude relative to the whole experience of child rearing or children in general. 
I remember I, I do a lot of work with MFI, Ministers Fellowship International, and, and I work with all kinds of different people that are involved in ministry, whether it's children's ministry or music ministry or whatever. And I have this one friend who was a children's pastor, and he said he would go to these ministers' conferences and everything was going great. They were having great conversation until they asked him what he did. And he said he was a children's pastor. It was like the whole table walked away. Let's go find somebody that's doing something really important. Well, Dick Iverson had the opposite view. He said, put your best people over the children. Put your best people involved with the youth. Why? Because they are the future. They're, they're not just the future. They're the present and so critical that we have that attitude. So I want to, look at, want to look at some words today that can kind of form as a foundation for what I want to talk about. These are words that we use in English, but they're also concepts that are found in the Bible. Uh, the first word is the word respect. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. You might say, well, what does that have to do with children? What does that have to do with parenting? One of the things the Lord spoke to me early on uh, in relationship to my own children, besides how wonderfully handsome and beautiful they are. Oh, I sorry. I, I didn't mean to say that, Jason, in front of these people and embarrass you like that. But the, besides that was my son is not just my son. He's also a member of the body of Christ. And so every verse in the Bible that applies to our relationship to each other as members of the body also applies to me in my relationship to my son. I'm not just his father, I'm his brother in Christ. And Jesus made it clear that, that when we treat each other in certain ways, we are actually treating him in certain ways. So in as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brother, and you have done it unto me. So I had to realize that however I was talking to him, however I was uh, ministering to him in whatever way, I was doing that to Christ. So I, I can confess this morning, I have spanked Christ. <laughs> I know, I know I'm going to go to jail now. But <laughs> no, but the whole thing has to do with respect, the whole thing to do with right attitude, being considerate, Kindly affectioned one to another. The New Living says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. The NIV says, honor one another above yourself. So in our relationship with all Christians, all believers, whether they be children or whether they be adults, the charge is here to honor one another above yourself. The word honor there means a just regard for, appreciation of worth, honor, esteem, courteous regard. Second word is the word esteem. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let nothing, the word nothing there means nothing, be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So I can't just be interested in what I'm interested in. I've got to be interested in what others are interested in. And, uh, and I know when Pete was reading some of those stories today, a lot of the fathers who answered those questions kind of reflected that thing. I, I can't just be thinking about what's important to me. I have to be thinking about what's important to my kids. I can't just think how this affects me. I've got to think about how this affects my kids. The meaning of this word is to val highly value, regard as having worth or excellence. Hopefully we didn't have our children out of a sense of selfish ambition. Well, I want to try this out and see how this works. Well, I've done everything in my life but have a kid, so I think we're going to have a kid. Or we're going to adopt some kids. We're going to try to get all the different kinds that we can. We're going to get a full set and, um, and see what we can do there. Well, it's not meant to be kind of an experience of the human 
kind existence. Okay, we'll try that. We haven't done that. No, it should be out of love. It should be one of the highest expressions of our love for each other that we are going to enter into a covenant with God to bring forth a child with his purpose stamped up on top of them. Third word here is regard. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, but do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Think of that as a parent serving their child, not just the children serving their parents. You, you find a lot of, my, my mom was a, raised in a farm in Nebraska, and her parents had 10 children, and that was a small family. And why did they have so many children? They needed a lot of farm workers. <laughs> you got to bring in the harvest. The laborers are few, so let's make a few more. Well, uh, that's just the way it is sometimes in that life, but a lot of it seemed like it was a little bit selfish because we just need to have more of this or we have more of that. That isn't why we, we have children. It isn't selfish ambition. The fourth word here is recognition. Recognition. This word uh, is, is referenced really in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 to 27, which talks about the body of Christ and how every member is important and we need every member in the body. Well, again, we put that in, in the context of parents and children and family. Every person is important. We can't say to the, to the hand, I have no need of you. We can't say to this member, I have no need of you. No, we need everybody. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody is useful. Everybody has a function and everybody has something to contribute to the whole. And we can't, we can't uh, rate them on the basis of, well, I like this one, or I don't like that one, or this one looks pretty, and that one doesn't. I, 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 I think eyes are more beautiful than ears, honestly, in the, uh, in the scheme of things. You know, you see, you see some, these romantic things about, uh, you know, having a man, woman, looking deep into my eyes. No one ever says, look deep into my ears. I don't know why. I just think the more you stare at your ear, the uglier it gets. But the truth of the matter is we can't rate the members of the body, we have to understand they all have their unique purpose. They all have their unique design. And God says that we are to treat them equally. We are to treat them exactly the same. Have the same care one for another. So the word recognition means acknowledgement of validity, of, of the validity of something, an indication of appreciation or approval of, formal approval, a regard for the genuineness of something. I wonder if there's some children out there who don't even understand that they have any validity at all, if they're valid, if they're a real human being. But every person has significance in the body of Christ. This includes children. We can't say, I have no need of you. Children are real people too, and they are members of the body of Christ. The fifth word here is dignity. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Uh, the NIV says, show proper respect to everyone. The message says, treat everyone you meet with dignity. And that means treating them with dignity at all times, whether it's involving discipline, whether it's involving encouragement, whatever it is, we can treat people still in a dignified manner without the purpose of humiliation. Now, sometimes it's easy. It says honor the king. Sometimes it's easy to honor people that are in high authority, people that are in important positions, people that... We sort of feel like if we treat them well, they'll treat us well because there's something that we can get from them. And so sometimes it, when it comes to these type of people, we don't have trouble treating them with understanding their value or treating them with, with honor. But a child's value is not as easy to see right away. If we're not careful, we'll have the attitude of the disciples when it comes to children. Mothers are bringing children to Jesus and the disciples 
uh, just didn't think Jesus had time for children. And so they were shooing the children away, shooing the children away. Get these, get these kids out of here. They're like so many people. They say, well, we're going to get together, but what do we do with the children? What are we going to do with the children? That's the answer. What about the children? You hear people talking about small groups. What about the children? It's always, what about the children? Where can we scoot them off to? Who can we get to mind them so we can have a, a, a good time? And uh, I'm not saying that there isn't a time for that, especially if the children are doing something profitable for their own age. But at the same time, it can't just be something, get these things, they're an obstruction, they're an obstacle, they're something that's in my way to actually having a good time. The disciples didn't totally understand that. They were shooing them away, and Jesus rebuked the disciples. I'm sure he did it with dignity. I'm sure he did it with honor. I'm sure he tried not to embarrass them when he rebuked them. And he said, let the children come to me. Please don't forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And he took the kids in his arms, put them on his lap, encouraged them, blessed them. Uh, and that was the heart of Jesus. And it still is the heart of Jesus when it comes to children in his house, the church. So what is the value or the worth of a child? Well, <clears throat> sometimes it's difficult to see the value of a child, especially when they're really young. I heard one testimony that you guys read, something about the father. His testimony was, what's the thing you found out so much about? I could do it. I'm thinking, yeah, you can change the diaper, right? I can do it. Man, I can do it. I can really do it. Clothespin and all. I can do it. Yeah, well, keep doing it. Uh, but <laughs> you get over that real fast. But sometimes it's difficult to see the value of a child. And so, uh, and for, there are many reasons for that. Sometimes it's just because of their small size. They're easily over overlooked or their limited strength. They can't actually do a lot of work. Uh, maybe because of their limited knowledge. They, don't, they can't answer all of your deep questions about life and so forth. Sometimes it's their candid and at times irritating questions. I uh, have a great-grandson who, after I make any comment to him, I don't care what it is, I, I might say, this water is cold. He'd say, why? Well, we had it in the refrigerator. Well, why? Because we wanted to make it cold. Well, why? Because it's much easier to drink when it's cold. Why? Well, because, I don't know, I just like it that way. Why? Because I don't like it hot. Why? <laughs> and I talked to my son about this because it's actually payback for when he was two. And that's exactly, exactly what he did to me and wore me down. He wore me down. Sometimes because children seem to maybe have nothing to offer immediately. You know, they can't contribute to the expenses of the household or the chores of the household or whatever it might be. Uh, maybe because they can be embarrassing at times. I don't think your kids probably ever embarrassed you. Mine never embarrassed me. They're here today, so I wouldn't be telling on them anyway. But uh, yeah, sometimes they embarrass us. And as a result, you know, we maybe overreact at times. Sometimes it's the way we were treated as a child. Uh, many of us did not have great parenting. I had, some, I had good parenting. One thing I never doubted, they didn't do everything perfect. We have a perfect father we sang about, but none of the rest of us are perfect. They weren't perfect, but there was one thing I always knew is that I was loved. And uh, that's, that's a big deal because not everybody grows up that way. But sometimes we see certain ways. We don't have seminars on parenting. We, we get more information about taking care of a lizard when we buy it at the pet store than we do actually about parenting. And yet it's a little bit more complicated than raising a lizard. How many parents would say, yes, I agree with that? Well, there are different kinds of lizards. Some lizards are very difficult, but uh, I'm not going to go into that right now. Getting a lizard to speak is really hard, and getting them potty trained is even worse. But the point is, 
How are we treated as a child? Are we repeating the sins of the fathers? Saying, well, that's how I was treated. That's how, that's how we raised. That's, that's just the way this clan is. That's the way it goes. I was raised in a, or well, I wasn't raised in it, but I did go to a boarding school for high school. I was in an all-boys uh, dormitory all through high school. It wasn't a reform school, but it could have been. Uh, they were hoping it would have been, but it was never. But the point was is that uh, when you came in as a freshman, the seniors would take you through this hell week, which was their initiation. They had to shut it down uh, a few years later because it was, it was literally hazing. It was a terrible thing for these freshman students to go through. And I remember thinking, I can't wait till I'm a senior. I can't wait till I'm a senior, boy. And so you're a senior, and then these poor little freshmen come in, and you just beat the tar out of them. And those are not the guys that hurt you. You're taking it out on these poor little innocent people, and yet the ones that you should be taking out on are the ones that did it to you. And sometimes we're kind of like that. It's like, okay, I was treated like that as a kid. That's good enough to him. I'll, I'll just reduplicate what was happened to me. Rather than being instructed, getting a better way, finding a better way, and making some investment in the process. Very few of us ever read material on child rearing and these types of things. We, we do most by trial and error and mostly error. And, and then it takes us through the trial because it is a trial if we commit a lot of errors. But because of the way they were treated or, or maybe because that child doesn't measure up to what they perceive to be their expectations of what their children should be like. The person was a great athlete. He wants all of his kids to play, play ball, and then he has three girls. What do you do about that? Or, <laughs> oh, sorry, three girls over there. <laughs> uh, or that they would, they would be musical, or they would be able to sing, or they would be able to do this, because that's, or they would be able to get real high marks in school, or they'd have all these expectations about what their child was going to be, and, and then they don't quite measure up. Or maybe there's some sort of a disability that they didn't anticipate, and and they, they, they try to, they don't, they don't value that child the way they should. And yet they, they don't realize that every single child born into the world is just the one that God has for us and just the one that God is going to do mighty things through and just the one that God has designed for a particular purpose and a particular function, no matter how long they live on the earth. The things that we value and respect, we tend to treat better than the things that we don't. I wouldn't have any problem throwing this down on the floor, but I'm not going to do it because I think I'm still going to want to drink. Because it's not got a lot of value. They got this at Costco. I got some at Fred Meyer the other day. They were seven cents a piece. I think to myself, how can they make that for seven cents a piece? It's until I realize that God makes it. So, but the truth is, if I don't value something, I don't treat it with much care. Now, if I get a brand new car, like many of you have, well... I might take really good care of it because I want it to last a long time. I, I don't want it to get scratched up and so forth. I usually tell people, if you get a new car, just take a key out right away. Just run it right down the side. Get it over with. It's going to happen. That way you can release your emotions from the thing. But the thing is, the things that we value, we take better care of. If, uh, if we think that somebody is important to us, then we're careful around them. We want to make sure that they are well taken care of. If we have an heirloom, something that maybe has been passed down, we treat something that's very, very special to us because it's been through several generations. We put it in a place of honor and uh, treat it very specially. I remember years ago when my wife and I were early married, 
Uh, I think our kids were about two, four, and six. Uh, we didn't have anything really nice. We shopped mostly at, well, whatever, there's a step down from Goodwill. That's where we shopped. So everything we had was, at, we would call it junk today. Uh, but uh, one Christmas, her parents, my wife's parents, gave all their kids a microwave oven. And uh, wow, that's a microwave oven. Well, we, we didn't want that microwave oven because we, we weren't sure yet if the radiation would kill us. So we were going to be careful. That was early microwave oven days, and you know they were made out of wood. So I... <laughs> no, not really. Uh, so we sold it, and we got... Or not sold it, but we, we took it back to the store that they got it from, and we got the money. And so we decided we're going to have something nice. So we went out and bought these three Tiffany lamps. Now, they weren't real Tiffany lamps. They, they're... They had a style that looked like a Tiffany lamp from about 30 yards away. Uh, didn't, they didn't have any of the leaded glass and stuff. It was just colored glass. You know what I'm saying? And the metal wasn't any precious metal or anything. It was like tin that was plated with some kind of a thing below tin that looked yellow. But anyway, um, so we had these lamps. That was the only nice thing we had in the house. Anybody came into the house, they always commented on the lamps. Well, those are nice lamps. Well, they really couldn't comment on anything else because everything else was junk yeah right told you oh look at that junk man I really like that no so in a family with small children we put one on the piano put one on an end table and we had one that was suspended from the ceiling and one by one they took their fall as my dear I believe it was my son tried to climb up on the piano he grabbed the doily or thing underneath of it and pulled it so he down crown Something else happened a little bit later. The one on the end table took its turn and broke into a million pieces. Now we need lead to put it back together. No. Um, so we just figured we'd smash the one on the ceiling because <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't match anything in the house and we were back to zero. Amen. Well, we, we thought those were pretty cool. And it's easy sometimes to misplace our affections when it comes to temporal things. So when it comes to value, it's easy to major on minor things and, mi and give minor effort to major things. I think when it comes to children, God wants us to begin to see that, that our children are actually the major things in our life and that we want to have the right view of them. Now, the world's view of children is different than ours. Sometimes it's a view they're, they're kind of in the way. They tie me down. They're messy. They're a nuisance. Keep me from pursuing my goals and so forth. There are interruptions in my life, and it's like i got to put my real life on hold. And yet, really, the greatest way you have to change a generation is to invest in your children. And you can raise up a whole new generation that goes on to make sweeping changes in our society. It's one of the greatest opportunities that we have above all careers and everything else is to raise a family that serves the Lord. God has a view of children that is very different uh, God's view of children, number one, is that children are valid members of the body of Christ. And as such, they are to be given the same regard as every other brother and sister in Christ in the body of Christ. The, number two, the children are a significant blessing above all others. Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, And I will bless her and also give you a son by her, and I will bless her. She shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. But the blessing was having children. It's a great blessing. 
Number three, children are a gracious gift from God. I like this. When Jacob hadn't seen his brother Esau in a long time, and Esau came over, and he saw all these children and stuff with Jacob, and he lifted up his eyes and saw the children, and he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given to your servant. That was his attitude. And of course, with Abraham, when God promised him children as the sands of the sea and as the dust of the earth for multitude, most of us would say, no, please, not that. Please, not that. But Jacob, was that was his favorite promise that he got from the Lord. Number five, children are the reward of the Lord. Number six, children are cause for great happiness. And Pete and Tamara lived this out. They, they developed the, the phrase, the more the merrier. The more the merrier. As you know, they have their share. So, how are parents to treat their children respectively? Well, respectfully, first of all, I think we need to change the way we see our children. See them as the blessing of the Lord. Children are like banks into which you can invest savings for the future. I remember when my children were young, we didn't have a lot of things, and they saw, they, they, we, we lived in this old house. It was built in 1887 and uh, had a big backyard. And they wanted a swing set. And uh, I said, well, we can't really afford a swing set right now. And uh, we don't have enough money. Well, the, their answer to that was, well, let's go to the bank and get some. You know, they've seen me take out ATM withdrawals from that's where you go when you don't have money. You go to the bank and they get, you get money there. Well, they didn't live under the pandemic where you can do that. But uh, here we had to actually earn the money that we put in the bank. And so their thought was, that's where the money is. Let's go and get some. I had to explain to them, you can't take out money unless you first put it in. Sometimes we have this expectation that we're going to get things out of our kids that we never put into them. And so it's like making an investment. Children are like tender shoots that when properly cultivated and watered, they'll produce fruit. One person said, this is the uh, Anon, poet, the, the poet Anon, anonymous uh, every child born into the world is a new thought of God, an ever fresh and radiant possibility. So we need to change the way we see children. We need to honor them uh, in how we present them. We need to treat them the way uh, we would like to be treated. So here I'm going to give you some ways to treat your children. I just have about 22 of these, so hold on to your seats and... You, you laugh. I do have 22 of them, but I'm going to give them about 30 seconds each. So you, 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 you'll see. It can be done. Treating children respectfully. Number one, look at them when you speak to them. I don't care what age they are. You know, when you're in a conversation with somebody, you want them to look at you while you're talking. Sometimes with our children, we, we are every which way yelling at them from one corner to this room or the other room. Look at them when you talk to them. Number two, take time to talk to them when they want to talk to you. When children are young, lots of times they want to talk to you about things and maybe you feel like you're too busy or what they have to say is not that important or whatever it might be. But the day is going to come when you're going to want them to open up to you, especially through their teenage years. You're going to want them to feel free to come to you. You're going to want them to talk to you about the things that are concerning them. And if we close that door on them when they were little, they may not feel the confidence that they can come to us when they're growing older. Number three, respect their desires when planning family activities. Sometimes married people just want to go do their thing and, and, and 
farm the kids out while they're on their fun times doing this or that, and they want to do things. I want to do some adult stuff. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to do some adult stuff too when we got married. We've been married for 52 years, and we still haven't done any adult things. I mean, we still, we still like to be with our kids whenever we go anywhere. We still, uh, I, I was telling the first service that it was, it was only when we were in South Africa uh, that the first time my wife and I actually went away somewhere without some of our fa- kids or family members with us, and that was just about 10, 12 years ago. So, but our kids weren't with us at the time, so we, 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 we didn't take them. But the point is this, is that it isn't like, okay, this is for kids, this is for adults. I, I do realize you have to tailor make what you do to make your f- family times enjoyable for whatever age your children are at. They're going to get older, and then they're going to enjoy the other things that you enjoy as well. Number four, do not speak to them in harsh and negative tones. My wife gave me the thing on this. She said, the general rule, if the pitch goes up, it's uplifting. If the pitch goes down, it's degrading. So you can say the same thing in two different ways. So you could say, hurry up. We only have 10 minutes. It's kind of up. It's, it's, you're, you're, you're challenging them to get with it. But, or you can say, hurry up. We only got 10 minutes. Well, that's totally different. That's why I don't like text messages. You can't tell the tone that people are using. So avoid that scolding or verbal torture. torture. Be courteous in how you give your instructions. It's not shut up. Maybe you could use let's be quiet now. And, uh, or they'll tell you. <laughs> I had one of my kids uh, tell me about their grand, I think it was their granddaughter or one of them, one of their kids, came to me. Mom, I'm tired of listening to your voice, or I'm tired of your voice, because forget exactly how I said it. <laughs> and <laughs> so you look at it from the children's perspective, I'm actually getting kind of tired of all these instructions and stuff. <laughs> Number five, don't use embarrassment to adjust or correct them. I'm going to give you a handout on these 22 things, so don't try to write them all down. Don't use embarrassment to adjust or correct them. I was talking to a guy after the service, said his, his parents did this at times in front of his friends. And he didn't know whether they were just trying to show off in front of his friends or, or what, but he would be embarrassed. Number six, allow them to express their opinions freely in family discussions. This will help you to help them refine their thoughts, and maybe in some cases they're going to learn something from them. Number seven, do not label them with negative nicknames like, this is my shy one, or this is a crank, my cranky one, or this is the wild one, or this one's hyperactive, or this one's this, this one's that. And try to avoid using any name-calling. Uh, idiot, dummy, stupid, any of those kinds of things because those go into their spirit and it's hard for them to shake that. And sometimes they just end up accepting the fact that that's what I am and so they will be cranky and they will be wild because they want to live up to your expectations of them. Number eight, never refer to children in general negative terms like children in general, brats, rugrats, whatever whatever you call uh, the kids that are hanging around. And in this, you'd also want to avoid nonverbal cues that express some negative thing about children or them in particular. So I encourage never to use sighs to uh, express discontent. A sigh (sighs) says, I am disgusted with you. You are making me upset. You are really stupid. Don't you know anything? You can't do anything right. You are a bother to me. 
So these kinds of looks, these kinds of things can, can actually, again, degrade, and that's not what we're after here. Can't imagine doing that with my pastor. Number nine, be free to express affection for the child in words and deeds. Uh, a lot of times in our society today, there's weird stuff going on in this area, but children need to know that they are loved. They need a touch and a feel of a, of a family member. They need to have warmth. Uh, tell them every day that you love them, hug and kiss them often. Uh, children need that. They need to sit on their father's lap and tell stories and uh, share uh, thoughts of the day. One of the things we tried to do when our kids were small, especially, was uh, we prayed for them every night at their bed before they went to bed or before they went to sleep. We'd go from bedroom to bedroom and pray, kneel down and, and, and pray and try at the end of the day to pray with them about anything that concerned them, but also to leave a positive thought in their heart and mind as we left that room so they'd have something to meditate on during the night. Number 10, never laugh at a child. Laugh with them. I had, a, I had a child in my family, I won't tell you his name, but <laughs> uh, he came home from school, it wasn't going to school yet, but he, he thought he could tell a knock-knock joke, so, but he had gone to church, and so we sang this song in church, let us all together, let us all together sing and praise and worship the Lord, so anyway, he said knock-knock, I said who's there, he said lettuce, I said lettuce who, he said let us all together. You see how many people laughed at that right now? <laughs> well, that's what I was tempted to do too, but I laughed as if that was the greatest joke of all time. <laughs> Amen. He tells jokes much better now. You can talk to him after the service. <laughs> I'm probably ruining my message right now. Uh, number 11, be careful never to show favoritism among your children. Now, you're naturally oftentimes going to be drawn to more than one child or another, but each child needs to be treated special. You need to ask yourself, am I treating them fairly? Do I address one more than another? Do I ask one to do more uh, with me than another? Do I greet one with more enthusiasm than another? Do I make a bigger fuss over one report card than another? Some of them are not uh, the kind of fuss you want to have over a report card. Uh, do I give gifts of equal value? In the Greek culture, you measured value uh, in terms of dollars. When it t t tells us to... Uh, give um, double honor to elders who serve well, it's actually talking about money. And so it's hard to say, well, okay, I'm going to give two Christmas gifts to this one child. I'm going to give them a brand new bicycle. And to this other one, I'm going to give them a comb. Now, there's a difference in those gifts. Did you notice that? It wasn't a gold-plated comb. It was just a normal plastic cone, comb that they got at dollar store. But sometimes it's, it's obvious to kids... Because you may not think about it, but they do. They look at that and they say, my parents always favor that one. Or they always favor this one. Sometimes you have to work with babysitters, grandparents, relatives, friends that might tend to go overboard with one child or another. My wife and I both went through that at, at a number of times where we had to just talk to people about this because we found that people just tended to gravitate more towards one than the other. Now, my wife was an ex expert at not showing favoritism, when, especially when it comes to dividing things into portions that are to be eaten. If you have three kids and you want to divide things into three ways, she is one of the few women that I know who has a scale for that purpose. She will weigh them. And she'll take out these little instruments, medical instruments, I think, these little instruments, and if one is slightly off, She'll keep going back and forth 
little bits until everyone is exactly perfect. Now, if you have two kids, it's easier. You can just have one cut and the other one choose first. But when you have three, it's a little more complicated, and you need scientific instruments to be able to make sure that nobody uh, gets a raw deal. Uh, nobody went hungry in our house anyway, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But number two, or 12, pardon me. No, no, no. Be careful not to compare them with others. Not just your own children, each other, but also other people's children. Each child's different. Your job is to celebrate the difference and try to bring out the unique qualities in each one of them. Because each one of them has a unique destiny. Each one of them has a unique purpose. And you want to see them maximize that to the best. Number 13, do not overreact to the things that they say and do. Be careful. Guard your reactions when they do things that are a little bit unexpected. You know, if your children walk in the room naked, don't overreact. Unless they're 12, 13, 14 or something. I'm talking about little kids right now. But sometimes we can overreact. Maybe they're doing goofy things. Sometimes, for instance, we can... Wounded child, for instance, I use the example in the early service of a little girl coming in to her mommy. She's three years old, and she knows her mommy likes flowers. And so she's bringing in this nice, beautiful bouquet of flowers. Mommy, mommy, I have something for you because I love you so much. And uh, the mother recognizes those are flowers from the neighbor's yard, <laughs> garden. And so, of course, she slaps her down and says, don't bring me those. those you stole those. No, you say, oh, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You love me so much to bring me those flowers. You know, I don't really like those kind of flowers as well as I like the little yellow ones in our yard. If you wouldn't mind next time, just gather those up and bring those into me. I just love those. In the meantime, you can go hat in hand to your neighbor and square that thing away. But the whole point is she was just trying to bless mom. What, what is the heart? React to the heart and not to the actual deed because sometimes we overreact because, oh, I'm embarrassed. Now I'm going to have to go to the neighbor. I would talk to them and do this kind of thing. And probably the neighbor would say, what do you do? That no, no. They'd probably say, oh, that's okay. I, I can't use all the flowers I grow anyway. <laughs> but anyway, we want to be careful about harshness because it can wound the spirit of a child and try to read what's go really going on in that scenario. Most of the time, we overreact because of self-centeredness, tiredness, busyness, and some of these kind of things. Number 14, never demean your child when talking about them with others, especially in their presence. Sometimes we talk over our children like they're not even there. They're down here, and we're just talking. Here's moms and dads talking up here, and these kids are down here. They're all ears. They're hearing everything we say. Uh, and we, I've never had one like this before. Oh, this one really taxes me here. This is not the other thing. And we need to be careful about that. Number 15, avoid all unbiblical forms of discipline. There is a biblical form of discipline. I'd be happy to share it with you someday. Even in discipline, you want to handle it with dignity. No slapping, pulling ears, pulling hair, jerking, shaking, lifting them up suddenly off the floor, grabbing suddenly, squeezing arms too tight, pinching, setting down hard, biting. I knew one mother a bitter child because he bit somebody else. I guess they're a bunch of cannibals in that particular house. Or any other eye-for-the-eye method. Well, you poke that kid in the eye. Here, poke. How, do you, how does that make you feel? Well, my eye's sore. <laughs> For sure it is. But that's not exactly how we deal with those things. Number 16, be eager to apologize and ask for forgiveness, as you would with any other adult when you made a mistake. And we do make mistakes. 
The children know we make mistakes. They see it. They know it before you do. And what we can do sometimes is we can just say to our kids, well, you know, I was, I was really tired. Daddy really had a hard day today. Well, if you don't show them how to apologize, you will teach them how to justify themselves and make excuses. And believe me, I've heard some great excuses. Being a Portland Bible College teacher for 35 years, I heard great excuses for my, my, why my homework is not done. I was going to set up a booth, actually, outside my class and sell excuses because I could make them up better than they, they made them up. But we can teach them that. They don't have to take responsibility. They don't have, you need to teach them how to, how to apologize. Oh, you're right. I was wrong in the way I spoke to you. Uh, there's no excuse for it. Would you please forgive me? I am going to work on this. And with God's help, I hope to never do that again. And when we start doing that, not only do we take responsibility, but we teach them how to take responsibility for their own actions and how to apologize. Number 17, take them seriously when they express their concerns. Uh, they got an owie. Okay, let's, let's deal with it. They got something under their bed. Okay, let's go for it. Just turns out it's... Um, well, I don't know, there's somebody coming or going because from dust we came and from dust we're returning and now I can't tell whether there's somebody under there coming or going. But anyway, <laughs> take them seriously. Number 18, it's time for me to get off the platform. Show, show genuine interest in the things that are part of their lives, whether it's problems, friends, hurts, failures, sports, victories, hobbies, interests, get involved to the greatest level that you can. Number 19, show appreciation when they make efforts to please you. Number 20, praise them often. They're handing out that sheet right now that has these on it. Uh, number 21, pay prompt and cheerful attention to their needs from diapering to doctoring. And I might just put in a plug here for some of you parents who feel like that that number on the diaper that says, says 8 to 13 pounds is not the capacity of the diaper. It should be changed <laughs> It should be changed earlier than that at the first uh, time it becomes inconvenient to those around us. So please pay attention to them. Don't make them run around in it. They, they can't change their own diaper. Uh, don't make them run around in that stuff all day long. And then finally, this is the last one, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it. And it's a little bit more serious. And it's so serious, I'm going to have you stand for this one, number 22. Keep your promises to your children. I was at a seminar that was talking about parenting one time, and the speaker touched on this subject. He talked about how, as parents, sometimes in order to kind of put our children off or, or get out of a tough situation, we'll make a promise to them, like, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, or I'm going to take you fishing, or I'm going to do this thing or the other thing. And uh, a lot of times it's just to get out of a tight spot with our kids. And maybe we're well-intentioned at the time, but the reality is we'll bless, probably never do it. The other thing is, is that sometimes we make promises and Again, we're, we're, we kind of forget about them. But this guy was saying, you know what? You may forget about the promises that you've made to your kids, but I can guarantee you right now, your kids remember every promise that you ever made to them. 
And he challenged us there to go to your children individually, have them sit down on your lap, maybe, if they're of that age. If they're older, don't do it. They'll probably kill you. But ask them and have a piece of paper and a pencil. You write it down. Have I ever made a promise to you that I haven't kept? And then write every, everything down that they say. Don't argue with them. Don't try to make an excuse for why that didn't happen. The economy did this or that did that. It was a promise made. And then that becomes, put at the top of that list then, to do. This is my to-do list and begin to work through that. Begin to work through that list. I'm telling you, it will cleanse some hurts that have been in there for a long time. I was uh, in a, this same seminar, and the speaker said this. He said, they did a study of prostitutes in New York City to f- try to figure out if they could determine some kind of a common thread or common denominator that would drive these women into prostitution. They, they looked at everything. They looked at socioeconomic. They looked at what kind of household they came from, wealthy or poor or educated, uneducated, and all these different factors, racially different things and so forth. And they weren't able to find anything in common. And then somehow they struck on this one. And it turns out that all of them had an attitude about their father who had made promises and not kept them. And that, there was a, almost like a, a getting back at my father for all the stuff that he didn't really fulfill. That really, that really hit me hard. And uh, so I went and did that with all of my kids, and thankfully, we don't have any more lists to work through, I don't think. But I do believe that some of us have experienced that. Some have been on the receiving end of promises that were never fulfilled. We have parents who have died who never fulfilled many of those promises. And that's why sometimes we have a, a wound in our spirit. The thing we want to see if we can do today in the close of this is first of all, as parents, we need to maybe repent of some of the things we have done in terms of how we've dealt with our children, how we've handled our children, and whether we've really made them a priority of our life. But then there's also things that we need to release. And I appreciate what Tamar said earlier. There's some things we need to let go of. There's things we need to release. Maybe we need to write letters to some parents or some people. I believe God's perfect goal in all of this is to bring restoration to bring life, to bring healing, and to bring out the very best of every person so that his purpose for them can actually be accomplished. And these are like hindrances to us to seeing that happen. And so I I, I just pray that the Lord would help us to take these things seriously today and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what should I do in my circle? I might have some business to do with parent. I might have or my parents, I might have some business to do with my spouse. We might need to talk through some things. We're not really on the same page with this stuff. Maybe there's some things I need to talk about with my kids. It's hard to go to your kids and say, you know, I've, I've really messed up. Uh, I've been, I haven't valued you the way I need to. I want to apologize to you. I want to ask you to forgive me. And uh, I believe that God can restore relationship. That's his business. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that you would have, and I would have, a real sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You know, we didn't get in these situations overnight, and 
we can't expect changes overnight. We're reaping to a certain extent everything that we've sown in the past. So what we need to do today is drive a stake in the ground and start sowing new seed. Now, when you sow new seed in a, har- in, a, in a field that is just coming to fruit, the bad fruit is coming in and we're eating it. When you sow new seed, the next day, you don't have a new harvest. You have to wait for the growing season. Those seeds that are planted now need to get watered, fertilized, and there'll come a day when those seeds you're planting today will start to bring forth full fruit and you'll be able to eat that harvest instead of the bitter one that's behind you. Whether it's your relationship with a parent, whether it's your relationship with your children, no matter what age those children might be, God wants restoration, God wants healing, God wants wholeness. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of healing. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy. Thank you today, Lord, that you are a God who who cares about every aspect of our life, especially our families. And Lord, I just pray that you would be the God of our families today. And if you're here as a father, I pray that God would help you to get his heart, his father's heart, for those under your charge, for mothers, for children, grandparents, great-grandparents. Lord, I just pray your grace would be on all of us so that we could build a culture in this church, a culture of honor for the children. It would not be a side issue in this church. It would not be Uh, something just to get the kids out of the service, but it would be something that would be purposeful, that it would be something that would would, uh, be strategic, that it would bring forth the best out of these young people that you have placed in our hands. Lord, we all as a congregation want to take responsibility for the children that are in this house. Lord, we thank you for giving us creative ways to do that. Let this word be blessed to our heart today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Bill, will you stay up here just a second? Your son, Jason, would like to come up and say something. I know this is abnormal here, but um, it's probably been 20 years or so since I've actually been in the same city with my father on Father's Day, just because we live in different cities and we haven't made that trip on Father's Day and he's been uh, going around the world and stuff. Um, But I just wanted to say... uh, one thing to honor him this morning. Uh, He told me probably about 12 to 15 years ago when he was moving to South Africa, he said, we were talking one day and he said, Jason, I'm really sorry, but I'm spending your inheritance to move to South Africa. And what quickly came to my mind because of the investment and the inheritance that my father has given me, I said, dad, You've already given me my inheritance. My inheritance was the way that you've spent time with me. Uh, We didn't have a lot of things growing up, but the one thing that you cannot make more of is time. And my dad has invested time into me and my, and you've invested time into your children and you have given us an incredible inheritance. And I would say any parents, you you could give your kids a lot, but give them like an inheritance that they can rise up and call you blessed. And uh, Father, you have blessed me and you've blessed my family and you've blessed my children and you're already blessing my grandchild. 
because of the investment that you and mom have made in our lives. And I just wanted to thank you for that today. Thank you.